and not just as a community, but also as a viable business, um, as a venture in entrepreneurship. And so we kind of want to get into the nuts and bolts of how your brain works, how the selection brain works, and how you got to where you are today. Um, Shout out Andre too, he's yes, here. Yes, he's here. Andre Tower. So I was thinking, I would ask you the questions that I want to know um, about how you got to where you are today. And so my first question is, Dear Joe, <laughs> when you were a little kid, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up? Um, when I was a little kid, uh, I actually wanted to be like a teacher, like a professor. Oh. Um, yeah, like I wanted to teach like middle school or so, just like because I, I feel like at that age, you know, we're trying to find ourselves and we're kind of troubled and going through like hormonal changes and stuff. So I just felt like um, before I realized what I wanted to do, that I would, I would definitely, if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be like a professor or something. So sharing knowledge has kind of always been part of like the backbone of who you are and who yeah, you always that, wanted to be. That part and uh, just help like. I would actually probably want to work with like, like the troubled teens, like the people who like come from broken families, because mm -hmm. I feel like they just need like a voice and, and they need help. So I was just trying to do something along that line where uh, people who aren't as fortunate, you know, yeah. and I can give back in, in different ways. So yeah, I always thought about that, but shit, we here. That's tight. And that's really deep because I just wanted to be a labor girl. So like I wasn't even thinking <laughs> about like, helping anybody. <laughs> that's really cool because I think in a lot of ways that's what you're doing um, with your own voice and your own taste. Um, so my next question is, when did you realize that music was more than just a hobby for you? Because you're obviously into music. I think we can all attest to that here. Um, I think uh, probably when I graduated high school or when I was like a junior, junior in high school, I would just get this like energy and this feeling from, uh, you know, uh, putting together mixed CDs and I was always like the kid with like the dopest CD, like I would make CDs and make copies for my friends and then we'd be all the functions and all the spots and I'd be like uh, playing my music and I always had to just like unique songs like it'd be like track number 14 from the 20 track album, you know what I mean? It's like the deep cuts and at the time the blogs and LimeWire was super big at the time. So we first had access to the internet, you know, cause I'm, I'm 29 so we, you know, we both came up in the era of watching, you know, things go from, you know, like uh, instant messenger, MSN, you know, like going from that to, to MySpace, to MySpace music, to Facebook, SoundCloud, MixCloud, Bandcamp, and then we watch things go from the iTunes store, you know, um, and then go to streaming where it is now. So we've literally been a part of every single like transition in, in like the, the technical era. But yeah, it was during that time because I got people were always like, why don't you produce? Why don't you create music? And for me, I tried to produce, but I got more of a kick. I got more of an enjoyment from uh putting people on and like showing my friends new music. It was just like the curation and again, helping people uh, that didn't have a voice or a spotlight, that, that's something that I always enjoyed more. So that's why I knew my calling was to do that. 
Did you think there was a lane for that? Because I know that personally, for me, it was just like, you're either a DJ and then you get DJ gigs or you're a producer and you make beats. Like, how did you know, where did you see that path for yourself? Because it is different from the, you know, uh, textbook definition of like, what you do in the music industry. True. Um, well, for me personally, I think when, cause I was like 11 or 12, we had a, had a family friend uh, that's like a, like a Theo, like a mentor, kind of godfather-like figure. Um, his name's Nerve, and Nerve worked for Universal, and he was a family friend through my mom's side. So he, his job was when all the, all the like the urban artists were in town. You know, at the time, ninety-two point three the beat. Um, you know, which transitioned to hundred point three the beat. You know, like you had like Eric Ubici and, and Lala. You know, who, who you know through Carmelo. And, and then you had Big Boy, of course, and like Tito's Top 4 and 4, you had Fantastic Four, you know, Mr. Chalk and J-Rock, like all the legends, yeah. you know, all the OGs, and I was like 11 or 12 at the time. And, you know, so I remember being 11 or 12, I remember specifically at 98, 99, Woodstock, it was their last year. I just remember having like the, the pay-per-view, like the legal version, and like just seeing DMX as like the only rapper on that bill. You know, and that was a time where That's I wild. used, you know, music was breaking through through music videos. You know, like you would see like all the hype Williams. That's why I'm so connected because we were talking about the movie Bally yeah, yeah. and why I still watch that. And so songs were being broken through music videos and and TRL and, and MTV Jams and watching all of that stuff is just like it inspired me so much and seeing those things and and so. Um, I remember seeing the Hot Boys, like Juvenile, come out. Um, he had a song called Ha. I think that's what it is, right? Is that Can hum? you yeah. sing it for us? Like, just <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're and I just remember, I remember how like legendary and how it just like it was just new, like the Southern slang. So when they came to town, my my uncle, he was the one that was taking them around to all the promo runs. Yes. When Fifty was like on his way up. He was the one bringing 50, you know, and bringing, you know, I remember when, I remember specifically David Banner when Lil Pimp, um, and um, uh, what's his name? Uh, it was David Banner, like a pimp. And and what's the dude from Houston? Lil Flip. I, I said Lil Pimp. But you get what I'm saying? So vividly, I remember those records, he was taking them around, and then he would bring me along. Yeah. So I think me having access to that at like 11 or 12 yeah. years old, you know, like being in the radio station, um, late night shows. My mom like would let me go with him. I was in good hands, and I think just being around that, you I saw think, like I think career my, like possibilities. A, like, yeah, like a light bulb just like went off. Like people have jobs doing this. Yeah, like a light bulb went off like consciously, and I was the only child, so I was always around uh, adults and older people. So I felt like I just grew up quicker, and. Uh, yeah, like I, I think that's where it really started, where I wanted to do that, yeah. where I think I was just gravitating towards the music. Did you get, so you're saying your mom was cool with everything. So you got a lot of family support off top um, for like pursuing music. Uh, they were, like my mom was flexible, my dad was more the strict disciplinary. My dad actually raised me coming up. Uh, he was a disciplinary, he would have me write book reports, he would, uh, he had, he was my coach for all my sports. I thought I was actually gonna be an athlete too at one point because 
I was like, yeah, I mean, baseball lessons, pitching lessons, football, basketball. I was pretty athletic back then, but then, um, yeah, like, music was my passion. By the time I got to high school, I was burned out from sports. I was playing travel ball, and I was just over it, and I was just going through a weird time in my life. So, um, yeah, I think it all just kind of came together. My parents weren't, didn't really understand, like, the DJing or, or the radio side initially when I was, like, really yeah. into it. They, they, my dad wanted me to be a lawyer. He wanted me to be a doctor. Right. Um, so they didn't really get it, but until I had that first break when I got yeah, like what a, was your first break? My first break was when I was in at Fullerton College. Um, there was a show called Truth Seekers Radio on uh, KPFK, okay. 90.7 FM here in LA. And they pretty much, uh, this guy named Santana Westbrook, who was like a mentor figure coming up yeah. in radio, he had like a long running show and he heard one of my podcast mixes from, it was called Ill Vibes. And he heard the mix of the podcast and he was just like, hey, like, I, I love this. Would you be down to do a guest set? So I was like in the middle of summer school, like midterms, and I literally dropped, I was studying, I dropped everything that day as soon as I got the email and I made a mix like in three hours and turned and I had to flip back to him. So that the moral of that story was just like, you know, like when you get that opportunity, you gotta run through that door because you don't know when these, these doors are gonna open again. So I was like, bet, I'm gonna do it now. Like I had yeah. the idea, I had all the track, I was already organized. We were music. already organized. Yeah. And I think that's like a really great point too is you know, a lot of the key to success is timing meets preparation. So like you get that opportunity and people are like, oh, I want that break. I just really want an opportunity. Just fucking give me a chance. And it's like, all right, here's your chance. Like what, what do you got? And they're like, Okay, I don't have anything ready. I haven't, I'm gonna be a photographer, I haven't taken any photos, I don't have a website, I don't have anything to show for. Like, I think it's it's both, you know? Like, you gotta be fishing for the opportunity and open for it, but also doing your homework. Like, I, I know for me when I got a break, I had just made my first mixtape, and it took me three days <laughs> to make a 15 minute mix on GarageBand um, to get it perfect, and that, and then I got an opportunity to DJ for an artist, and he was like, send me a mix. And I was like, oh shit, I Who's have one. Artist? I have a mix, I have one mix. I'm gonna send it. And was it? It was Childish Gambino. Early, early Childish. Damn, yeah. light flex. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but I mean, that's the whole thing, is like when you get that chance, like, are you ready for it? Um, and that's, I think, a really important thing to note when you're, like, trying to pursue anything, you know? Um, so, okay, so a lot of the Shopify theme for today is entrepreneurship. And I have to say that I personally didn't know I was an entrepreneur until somebody else told me. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, no, I just really want to know how it is to be an entrepreneur. And I was like, what is it like? I don't know. Um, did you, were you aware that you were an entrepreneur when it was happening? Is that something you thought of before it happened? Or is that something that it just kind of I, felt? Yeah. yeah. I, I know you and I relate. Andre's here. We can relate. Uh, we literally just did this for the love, you know? Like, I didn't have... Any, I had a vision of what I wanted it to be, but it just gravitated towards that because everything we were doing was like free. Even yeah. the, the releases that we're putting out early on, you know, the radio, like all the the time and 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 the time that I put into the radio show from K Beach, like I'm a crazy amount of that. Like I was just talking about this the other day. 
you know, people say you gotta hit your 10,000 hours. Like, to me, that's like internship level. Yeah. Like 10,000, the new 10,000 hours to me is 30,000 hours. And I feel like that's where I'm at right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why I feel like, that's why we are where we're at. It's yeah. including you, you're going on six years. We put in so much time. We dedicated our lives to it. We sacrificed so much. Right. So yeah, initially I didn't know because everything was free. It was for the love. It was never uh, monetization incentive yeah. towards it. It was more about, you know, like, I'm doing this because it feels right. And I still consider this my internship. I still consider this my university. I learned more from selection than I did from all my, all my classes, all my courses, sure. Long Beach State, all that. So I just figured it out when shit started getting serious and I got hit with taxes. Then yeah, that's why I'm like, am I a business? Yes. <laughs> if I'm being taxed, like, yeah, are you an LLC? Are you incorporated? Are you all that? And right. did you collect W9s? You know, did you send out 1099s? That's when I'm like, oh shit. You know, like, this is real. Yeah, so, yeah. that point. I think, yeah, I think that that's something that um, kind of hit me over the head, too, after you just, you're doing what you are really enjoy doing. You're kind of making a lane out of something you enjoy. And then you look up after, what, like, a few years of just working really hard, doing everything for free, like, putting all your blood, sweat, and tears into something. And then you look up and you're like, oh shit, I think I made a business. Like, I think I'm an entrepreneur. Um, whereas, you know, like I think um, a misconception is, you know, people go to school for entrepreneurship. And they, they think about, oh, how am I gonna, I need to make a viable business. Like, when it's really like, maybe you should think about what you're passionate about. Like, maybe go live your life, make some mistakes, like um, go through some shit and follow your interests and see if that turns into something. Um, you know, without overthinking the whole like, I need to create a business now. I wanna be a successful business person. I didn't actually want to be, I didn't know what I wanted to be like. And it's yeah, we're cool. the same, we're both creators yeah, at yeah. heart. You know, I think to have longevity in this, you have to be a balanced business person if you wanna take this serious. Otherwise, you're just gonna get ran over or you're gonna do a lot of things that puts your business in a, um, dissolve position, yeah. you know, as, as, as I like to say, because you don't take care of your business, you don't pay your taxes, you don't get a lawyer, you don't copyright, you don't, you don't trademark certain things, you're gonna get, you're gonna get taken advantage of, people are gonna steal your ideas, yeah. so you gotta be on top of that, you have to be a business person whether you like it or not. Yeah, you're gonna learn either the easy way or the hard way, but you're gonna learn, I think, along the way. So, let's talk about that, that leap, because I met you, when we were all at R.I.P. The Crosby, like yeah. doing $50 Shut shows uh, for 100 people, like just fucking, uh, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, those were the best those times. Those were the best times. And then I know that I got to be on Selection Radio show number 150 at K Beach, which is one of the final shows you did before you started making your upward journey to where you now are at Beats One. Um, you, you jumped around and then you land, found a home at Beats One. But that was that time where you're like, I remember getting a call and you're like, Sam, I did it. Like, I quit my job. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but I need to do selection full time. What was going through your head? What were, th what were the big risks that you were taking at that time? Because that's a big thing for a lot of entrepreneurs here is that taking that leap from like, I'm gonna quit my nine to five and follow my shit. 
So tell us about that time. Yeah, that was probably one of the toughest times of my life in terms of adversity and um, just confusion and frustration. I mean, at that time, it was 2013 and selection was two years in. So, and, and mind you, selection was already starting to move. We had just did a Coachella. We played, um, so people ask me, like, how many times we played Coachella? So the story is that um, we, we got asked to program the campgrounds, right? And so we did like the JBL 10, and then we, we brought all the hitters, you know, and, and then we were able to select, we did both weekends, and a few of them were able to open the outdoor stage. So it was around that time where I was going through this transition. Um, I was at, I had graduated Long Beach State in 2012, the fall. Um, and I also had my daughter who, who was literally born like a week after my finals. And I was told that she was gonna be, her due date was during finals. So I was stressing and I was going through all sorts of shit. I was supposed to study in London abroad and I had an internship lined up before I found out I was gonna be a father. Had to cancel all that. And so then I put on my dad hat, literally, I'm like, all right, let's do this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and dad hat. Yeah, I literally put on my dad, I'm like, yo, okay, let's, we got ourselves in this situation. Let's, let's, you know, let's be parents. Let's, yeah. let's be a family, let's, be, let's build our own tribe. And we tried it out and, and we really worked hard. And we're like, when you have a kid, you know, it just brings a whole other, perspective. like, perspective of motivation. I had this, this fire in me, because I'm like, shit, now I have a third mouth to feed, mm -hmm. you know? So, whereas before I was just worried about myself mm -hmm. and that's when I felt like I was truly becoming a man at 22, 23 years old. So I had all this pressure to fit to not only graduate on time because I had this full-time position lined up and I knew that I needed that because I needed the benefits, yeah. you know, from my, for, from Malia and I needed all that. So. I was like, I gotta finish school. I'm doing the radio show. I'm doing all these things with Selection. At that time, we were probably like 25, 30 releases into Selection. Mm -hmm. So we were just trying to figure it out and catch our break. And um, I had already left Olive Garden. I was working there for five years. From, Let's go breadsticks. Yeah, Toscana <laughs> Sue, Alfredo sauce, okay. all that. Salad. You know? Salad. It's the best. And, and so I started, I started there, you know? I was there from 17 to 22. I left that. Became the program director at K Beach. Was that was a part that didn't pay much. It was just yeah. more about being involved. And, I, and then I had I took out school grants, so that's how yeah. I was getting by. Mm -hmm. And I was pouring all my time into class and into selection. I'd be in class. That's so risky. Yeah, I can't even. yeah. But that's where it started. I'd be in class, and you know we were already like 10, 15 releases in at the time. And I'd be doing like accounting for the releases to pay out the artists, and I'd be missing all the whole lecture. To me, it was school. It was selection first and school second because I knew that for me, going to Long Beach State was that was just like my backbone, yeah. and I'm not proud of it. But I had to retake a lot of classes, not because I wasn't smart, but because I wasn't turning in my projects right. or getting my studying enough for my exams. So I was getting by with like 73 percent, 78 percent, you know, right. 82. Oh shit, you're at a 69 border, right? Yeah. And it was frustrating that I had to do that, but. I felt like I was putting all that time into selection. And so that break came when I'm like, I finally got hired for the position. Uh, it had nothing to do with selection. It was just like a, a, it was a social media coordinator position at yeah. ASI at Long Beach State. I got hired there. I had been waiting for them to create the position in the budget. It was entry level pay, but it was more than what I had. Right. 
and I was still DJing at the Crosby, yeah. all that stuff. So we were like struggling, you know. I remember going to to Sprouts, and I was like on thirty eight dollars. You know, I didn't get paid until the until the following week, and I had to make that thirty eight stretch for for Amy, for Malia, and myself. Mm-hmm. Literally, it was the most stress. Like I remember being at, at the register, and this this was a, this was the last time that ever happened. By the way, I was at the register. And I couldn't afford to buy like whatever the extra items. And I remember this college kid um, was right next to me, and he was like, you know, the, the guy was like kind of chill about it. He's like, yo, man, uh, uh, it says insufficient. So I was like, all right, well, I'll take out these two items. And the guy heard, he's like, yo, man, you want me to pay for that? And you know, I had so much pride as a man, yeah, as yeah. a father, that I was like, nah, it's all good, save your money. He's like, I've been there before, and I'm like, thank you. But that. That moment, yeah. that like fire just like made me go harder mm-hmm. because I was like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to be in that position, right? Yeah. So fast forward to like four or five months later, I thought I, I was in like this break of like, all right, I got this position I want, I got a good job. Then I realized I started to hate hate the job yeah. because it was taking me away from selection. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, I started to plot my exit. Yeah. When we got an offer to play in Japan, I got offered to play there, and I couldn't go because I didn't have enough vacation time. Yeah. I just started the job. Like, okay. I used it to go to South by Southwest that first year, and that was like a pivotal point for us. We took the whole squad. Yeah. We played like 15 shows, like, and I used my vacation time, and I couldn't go there. And then, uh, you know, we got hit up to play Europe, our first tour. Yeah. And they were like, I was like, all right, well, this is in May or June. The only way I can go is if I leave my job. So from that point, I was like plotting for two or three months. How am I going to leave this job? So I just planned it out. Um, I saved a little bit of money and I figured out that the money that I was going to make from that Europe tour um, was enough. It was matching what I was going to make at my job. Mm -hmm. And I just took that risk and then I never looked back, put in my two weeks. And it was ironic because it was a day that Magic Johnson had came through to do like a, he did like a panel or like a, kind of like this, like share my story thing. Yeah. And that was a day that I put in my two weeks, you know, to, to, to bounce. And yeah. he, he said some legendary shit that was like on some entrepreneur stuff. Yeah. And that was the energy that I needed. It was so weird the timing of it. And, and that was a moment when, when I, when I left and I shit, I never, never, never looked back. back. But I'm sure that one moment, that $38 moment really just, mm sticks with you forever. My number is $44. Yeah. Uh, my, at my lowest point, I had $44. And I was li- living on a twin mattress in my mom's house with all my boxes around me. And I was like, <laughs> how am I gonna do this? And this was like pre-143, pre-selection, pre-everything. And yeah, you just kind of get that little fire under your ass, and you're like, I never want to have this moment again. Mm-hmm. And you just, that that'll just take care of you. Um, <sighs> um, that was a little deep. Now you you spoke a.